Hey guys, welcome to Not At Dinner, the podcast where we talk about politics, religion, and everything else you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. I'm Link, your host for this podcast, and today we're going to talk about voting. There's a lot going on in the news right now, a lot of stories swirling about the idea of voter suppression and voting rights. There's different rulings and different actions being taken that could potentially prevent specific demographics from being able to have their voice heard in the upcoming elections. So we're going to focus on a couple things. First, did the Founding Fathers even care about voting rights? Is that something that is in the Constitution, something that we should be focusing on? That's part of the fabric of our country. Is there anything wrong with voter suppression? if that is what's really happening? And are the folks that are doing that trying to suppress specific demographics or are they trying to prevent voter fraud? So that's what we're going to talk about today. The very first thing that we'll discuss is the United States of America. So if you ask any citizen I would guess that the great majority of folks will say that the United States of America is a democracy. We really value equality and liberty and making sure people have their voice heard. That's, in fact, not a correct statement. Um, Yes, we are a democracy, but we are actually a democratic republic. So there's two types of country structure, I suppose we can call it, that you can have, which are a democracy or a republic. What's, what's the difference? A pure democracy is something where every single citizen votes and the majority rules full stop. End of conversation. In a republic, there are some limits placed by the government on the sorts of things that the majority can vote on. So in a republic, there will be a law that says everybody that wears a green shirt gets free ice cream. And no amount of voting can take that away from green shirt people getting their free ice cream. That's a republic. In a democracy, the government has no ruling and just says, everybody voted that purple shirt people get free ice cream. The end. And that can change at any point. The downside to a peer democracy is that the majority can end up crushing the minority. Folks that don't have as many people to vote for their cause, won't have as many rights or as much freedom as folks that do have as many people to vote for their cause. This is how we get into big debates about almost anything. We can use gay marriage as an example like we did last week. Should, in a pure democracy, we would vote on whether or not marriage should be extended to gay folks and 
whatever the majority says, that's the law, and that's that. So if the majority of people think marriage is between one man and one woman, in a pure democracy, that would be the law, and that would be the end of it. In a republic, you can make a constitutional amendment that says no marriage should be extended to everybody, no matter how the majority votes. So that's the question of democracy versus a republic. The United States of America is a democratic republic. That means that we have a constitution and we have laws that are in place and amendments to the constitution that say the freedom of speech can't be infringed upon. The government can't punish you for anything that you say. That's a constitutional amendment. So even if everybody votes against freedom of speech, it's still a constitutional amendment. We're not a pure republic, which means the constitution can be changed through a two-thirds vote in Congress. Amendments can be added to the constitution that can change what is and is not allowed. So we have a hybrid. We're not really just a democracy. The founding fathers built this into our country because, somewhat ironically, they believed that if we had just a pure democracy and all the citizens just got to vote, not even just all the citizens, all the people just got to like vote and whatever we voted for, we got, and that was great. Founding fathers were worried about doing something like that because they thought it could be the case that people would be swayed easily by charisma and by money and by fear and that the people at large are very vulnerable to being swayed away from logical or intellectual decisions and will just vote in someone who might be unqualified, incapable, but just very charismatic and plays on their fears make whatever connections to modern America you want from that. So here we are fighting over voting. The founding fathers created a country where we vote for representatives, we the people vote for representatives, and those representatives vote on our behalf. Arguably, we would select representatives who are smarter than us, more capable than us, more educated than us, and so who would go out and who would use their knowledge and their skill set to make better decisions than we might make, and who will vote in our best interest in the Senate. In fact, when the country was originally founded, the only government position that the people voted on were representatives in the House of Representatives. The Senate was chosen by the legislature. Um, judges, as they still are, were appointed. Federal judges are appointed. They're not voted on. Same with the Supreme Court. And the president, just like now, is voted, by, voted in by an electorate. So the president, we don't vote for the president, right? We vote for the elector, and the elector then goes and votes for the president and the hope is 
that the elector will vote for who they say they're going to vote for. But they don't have to. There's 0% requirement that the electors in the electoral college vote for whomever the majority of their state voted for. It's an interesting tidbit. So electors could have totally gone rogue and voted for Hillary or Bernie or whomever they wanted. So it's rare. It has happened that electors have voted for somebody else. So the founding fathers didn't give the people that much power over who was going to be in government and who was going to be making those decisions on our behalf. They gave us about as much power as they thought we could handle. Originally, the only people that could vote were white male landowners. So not even all white men originally could vote. Eventually, the people kind of decided, hey, that's not really fair. More people should be allowed to vote. More people should, should get to have a say in government. And so we passed a bunch of different constitutional amendments. In 1870, they passed an amendment that the right to vote shall not be denied or abridged based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude, which is really important because this was 1870. So this effectively gave black folks and former slaves the right to vote. In 1913, we passed an amendment that gave the people the right to vote for senators. Senators previously were voted on or appointed by the legislature. In 1920, the constitutional amendment was passed to give women the right to vote. Um, In 1964, they passed an amendment saying that you can't have a poll tax. And then the most recent amendment was in 1971, which lowered the age of voting to 18 years. Super recent. Um, That's actually interesting to me. I didn't know that that was so recent. So that's cool. Another big part of the Founding Fathers' belief system around voting is that they did not want poor people to vote. The Founding Fathers believed that poor people could be easily swayed by money. They could be easily bought off to vote for the wrong person. Um, And more so, they thought that poor people, along with women and black folks and ex-slaves, were too dumb to vote effectively. They honestly believed that if poor people had as much of a right to vote as everybody else, then they would make the wrong decision and everything would fall apart. So the original concept around voting was structured around giving only the people who were capable of making the most logical and reasonable and best decisions the right to vote based on what the founding fathers thought was logical, reasonable, and best. So 
our country was not founded on the idea that we all get to have our voice be heard. Nevertheless, over the course of time since the Founding Fathers, we've grown and we've adapted as a country to understand that the Founding Fathers, who are intelligent and did a lot of really great things for this country, were imperfect. And they didn't necessarily have the same belief systems that we hope for our country to have now. Especially factoring in that the United States of America, when it was founded, was a great social experiment. There wasn't really another country that our founding fathers could look to as an example for how to set up the democracy that they wanted us to have. This all came from their minds. They didn't want a monarchy. There were some native tribes here that they could have looked to. Of course, they didn't really value the intelligence of the native tribes that might have been using a democratic system they could have used for an example. So they mostly looked at Europe to try and find an example, and there wasn't really one. So this is an experiment. And so it's fair to say that we're adapting and we're figuring it out as we go, and, and we're effectively still building the country. I mean, this country's a couple hundred years old in the grand scheme of things. That's brand new. That's a baby country. So a lot can and should change. And that's why we've added the right to vote based on race and gender and those markers. What's interesting to point out, though, is that we didn't really give anybody the right to vote. All we said was, you can no longer prevent someone from voting based on race. What we didn't say was, everybody can vote even if they're of a certain race. So that means that there are still restrictions on voting. If you think about the way we structured voting, we started by saying white male landowners can vote. Then we said, okay, you don't have to be a landowner. Then we said, okay, you don't have to be white. Then we said, okay, you don't have to be a man. But that means people who are convicted of felonies can't vote, and there is no constitutional protection for those folks to be able to vote because, according to the Constitution, we can really block anyone we want as long as it's not landowning, race, or gender, or if they were a former slave or not. So there's still a lot of ways to block voting. And that's how we get to the modern state of things. Currently, there are a lot of things going on that can prevent folks from being able to vote. And does that matter? Should we be making a change so that more people can vote? Some of those things that are going on um, that you might have heard about are in North Dakota. North Dakota requires that you have a state-issued ID with a residential address. 
and your residential address cannot be a P.O. box. This is a requirement in North Dakota. Maybe originally you're thinking, okay, that's not so bad. P.O. boxes are kind of weird. I don't use a P.O. box. None of my friends use P.O. boxes. Only people who are fraudulent or criminals would use a P.O. box because P.O. boxes are rare. That's actually not true. So, yeah, in sort of mainstream, somewhat, you know, white or suburban culture, P.O. boxes are very rare for you to have as your actual home address on your driver's license. I've never had that. I've never had friends or family that have had that. But in the Native American community, because Native Americans live on reservations, which is something that we did to them when we stole their land, rather than having an actual residential address, the great majority of Native Americans use a P.O. box as their residential address so they can have an address that's within our mainstream system. So by having a law in place that says no P.O. boxes allowed, that law says no Native Americans allowed. It can be argued that the folks making those rules don't want Native Americans to vote. The argument comes from the fact that North Dakota is a pretty conservative state being run by folks who are pretty conservative. Uh, You remember the pipeline situation that went on um, and the Native American communities that were protesting against that. If all of the Native American folks in North Dakota went out and voted, that would put the folks who are currently in power in the state of North Dakota at risk of losing power. So they do have a motive for suppressing the Native American vote. What they don't have is a constitutional amendment telling them they're not allowed to prevent voting based on residential address. So what they're doing is entirely within our constitutional laws as it pertains to voting because we've never addressed constitutionally all these different things. Can we prevent someone from voting based on their residential address? Can we prevent someone from voting based on if they have an ID or not? All of these are laws which can be changed based on whichever representative you put, you vote for. Another thing that's going on right now that you may have heard about is what's going on in Georgia. So in Georgia, a whole bunch of voter registrations were placed on hold. And here's where things get complicated in Georgia. So in Georgia, the candidate that's running for governor of Georgia, who's a Republican, is also the current Georgia Secretary of State. Secretary of State is the person in every state who's responsible for managing voter registration. So there is also there's an argument going in in Georgia about the conflict of interest and should the guy that is the current secretary of state who's also running for governor recuse himself from being able to have control over voter rolls and voter counting and all that stuff because 
well, he has a pretty big motive to mess with the system. And it's his office that placed all of these voter registrations on hold. It's also the case that the great majority of voter registrations that are currently on hold are voter registrations for black people. It's also the case that in Georgia, the black vote generally goes to the Democratic candidate. So is this voter suppression? To me, it's this particular one is pretty fishy. I would say the Republican candidate, who's also the Secretary of State, is probably not being on the up and up. It's a little fishy. But I don't know him. I can't tell you for sure his motives. It's definitely not a great look, though. Why are those voter registrations on hold? So here's the reason. Georgia has a law called Exact Match, which says says that when you register to vote in Georgia, the information on your registration has to exactly match whatever it is that the state of Georgia has on file for your, you know, driver's license and state ID and all that stuff. It sounds easy, but here's the catch. This means that if you write your name and you write junior, so let's say you write John James Smith Jr., but your actual legal name doesn't include the junior because your parents didn't put it on your birth certificate, then your voter registration is going to be placed on hold until they can figure that out. If you put your middle initial instead of your middle name, your voter registration is going to be put on hold. So it's these really small things that are getting these registrations put on hold. The argument is that it helps to prevent fraud because you have to only, it's a 100% chance only these specific people are going to be registered. Voter fraud is a pretty small issue percentage-wise, so that's a different argument, but you have to decide what's more important, making sure everybody has the right to vote or making sure that we're preventing voter fraud. The Founding Fathers did not have an interest in either of those two things. The Founding Fathers didn't talk about voter fraud at all, but that's because such a small amount of people about 10 to 15% of people were eligible to be a voter at the time the Founding Fathers founded this country. So we don't have a constitutional or historical look back to say this is how we should be doing things. There is no legal or constitutional reason that the Georgia's exact match law is wrong. There's a moral or an ethical reason that you might think it's wrong, but there's no legal or constitutional reason to say that it's wrong, which is how judges end up upholding these sorts of laws when they end up in the court system. So this is where things get complicated, right? Things get a little weird because we have some competing values. We have the idea that this is a country, you know, by the people and for the people, 
we have the idea that all people are created equal. And if all people are created equal, then shouldn't all people have the ability to vote? But then we also have the fact that our country wasn't founded on the idea of everybody voting. It was founded on the idea of only the best and the brightest voting. But then the definition of best and brightest as defined by our founding fathers was relatively bigoted and maybe not in line with our current values. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about what now? How do we move forward and what do we do about the midterm? If you are not registered to vote, here are your voter registration deadlines for your respective states. Virginia, October 15th. October 16th, Kansas, Nevada, New Jersey, Oregon, West Virginia. October 17th, Massachusetts. Those are all this week. So if you are in one of those states, the time is now uh, to start getting yourself registered to vote. You have successfully procrastinated, and now it's time. October 22nd, Alabama, South Dakota. October 26th, Nebraska. October 29th, Washington State. November 1st, Maryland. If you live in one of the following states, you can register to vote in person on the day of the election. If you live in one of these states and you are not registered to vote when the midterms come around, you can head in to your polling place, register, and vote. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Washington, D.C., Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Maine, Minnesota, Montana, New Hampshire, Utah, Vermont, Wisconsin, Wyoming. Get registered to vote. If you are not yet registered to vote, head to notatdinnerpodcast.com and you will find a link there that will take you to a website to get you registered to vote. Welcome back. We are talking about voting rights, voter suppression, and where do we go from here? Where do we go now knowing what we know about the Founding Fathers and the constitutional amendments and the fact that we're a democratic republic? The answer is that we first have to get away from being passive citizens. It's really, really great to be a passive citizen because that means that you just get to have the things and you don't have to do anything for it, which, you know, every article you read will say that's the millennial way, so I'm here for it. But we have to make our country what we want it to be. Like I said, our country is 300 years old, roundabout, and that's brand new in the grand scheme of countries. This is a great social experiment, and so we still have plenty of time and plenty of ways to adapt and adjust exactly how we want this country to be run. 
The first thing is registering to vote, but also maintaining that voter registration. Voter rolls get purged. Every state is different on if and when they purge their voter rolls. Sometimes it can be based on if you didn't vote in the most recent election, they'll purge you from the rolls. Sometimes it can be based on a random reason. They'll just do it. So it is really important to double and triple check that you are registered. There are folks who have, within the last two months, registered to vote and went back and checked two weeks later, and they were no longer registered. So it's really important. I would say every eight months, double check that you're registered to vote. That way, every single time a voting opportunity comes around, we vote every two years on something big like a presidential election or a midterm, but there's typically going to be something going in your local elections every year to vote on. So keeping that active, voting in your local elections, but also moving away from those big hot button issues that may or may not change, like abortion, the death penalty, all these sorts of things. And looking at, in addition to those, so don't ignore those entirely, but in addition to those, looking at some of the smaller issues as well. And one of those smaller issues includes how do the candidates that are running for office feel about the right to vote? Do the candidates that are running want more voices heard? Are they out there getting people registered? Are they trying to actively get more folks to vote? Those are the candidates to vote for if that's something you want as well. Because the kind of frustrating thing about it is the only people that can pass the laws and pass the amendments that can give more folks the right to vote are the people we vote for. So if the folks who are currently in power are in power based on a specific demographic, they're going to give that demographic more power because they want power. You would want power too if you were in government. That's sort of the default to being a politician. Lindsey Graham recently said, oh, the Democrats only want power, and he hopes they never get it. It's, it is the case that the Democrats want power. It's also the case that the Republicans want power. That's the way the government works. So vote for candidates that share your belief system around voting. The next thing is to use your platform for good. If you have any sort of platform at all, advocate for folks to get registered. Help folks figure out how to vote, where their polling place is, how they can get a ride, and things like that. Because that can make a difference. Taylor Swift recently made an Instagram post. It was her first political Instagram post that she's ever made, to my knowledge. And while there's no official ruling on how many people registered to vote because of her post, there's nowhere on voter registration that says, like, why are you voting? And then you could check off Taylor Swift's Instagram. Um, it is the case that when we break down, like, the timing of when people voted, there was a massive spike in voter registration that correlated 
directly with Taylor Swift's Instagram post. Correlation doesn't always equal causation, but that is a pretty interesting correlation to take into account. And some experts are saying something like 40,000 voters were likely inspired to register because of Taylor Swift's Instagram post. You might not have, I'm going to say you probably don't have the same platform that Taylor Swift has, but you might have a Instagram or a social media of your own. Just make a make a quick post saying, hey, here's a link to register to vote if you don't know. If you have the Lyft or Uber promo codes for free and discounted rides to the polls on election day, share those on your social media. That's the type of stuff that's going to get folks able to vote and past that point where, okay, I'm registered, but now what? And finally, we should make election day a national holiday. Now, again, having election day be a national holiday does not benefit Republicans. And yes, that's a blanket statement, but if we look at the statistics, statistically, folks who have white-collar or higher-paying jobs are more likely to vote Republican, while folks who have blue-collar or lower-paying jobs are more likely to vote Democrat. That's not 100% the case, but it's a general idea. And generally speaking, folks in white-collar office jobs have more flexibility to take a long lunch or come in an hour late or leave an hour early from work to make sure they can get to the polls. Whereas someone that has an hourly wage job, they might have not have sick time or vacation time to use. Every minute that they're not at work, they're losing money. They might have to choose between a full paycheck or going to vote, and they're going to choose a full paycheck. You would too, right? That's the right choice if you have to choose. So that is in itself a form of voter suppression because folks aren't able to get out and vote. So voting for candidates that support the idea of making Election Day a national holiday is definitely something that we need to be talking about. Plus, added bonus, if Election Day becomes a national holiday, you will either get the day off or you will get holiday pay at your job. So that's just like, selfishly, it's a great idea. Who doesn't want an extra day off from work that's paid? So that's definitely something that we need to be supporting and we need to be pushing if it is the case that we really do want everyone to have the right to vote. Should only the most intellectual people, only the most educated people be able to go out and vote? There is an argument for that. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, the Founding Fathers were afraid that if we the people really had that much control, if we really had a direct democracy and we really could just vote for anybody, we would only vote for the most charismatic rather than the most qualified. And it is the case, whether you support Trump or not, that he was the most charismatic of all the candidates in the election and the least qualified. He had the least qualified resume. If we had 
only looked at the resumes of all the candidates, Donald Trump had no qualifications that made him the right to be president. So, I can understand where the founding fathers are coming from with worrying that, you know, us regular average people are too dumb and we'll vote for someone who's charismatic. That being said, I think we should still get to have a say and figure it out as we go. I also think we need a constitutional amendment that doesn't lay out who's not allowed to vote, but instead lays out who is allowed to vote. So rather than what we have right now, which is a hodgepodge of a, of amendment saying like, oh yeah, you can't discriminate based on race. And then another one's like, oh yeah, also gender. Oh yeah, if you're 18, you can vote. And it's kind of, it's not clear. It's just hodgepodge together. I would support a constitutional amendment that said something along the lines of the right to vote is extended to every citizen of the United States of America who is over 16, 18, whatever age we want. I think 16-year-olds are probably smart enough to vote. But um, And if we had an amendment that just said every single citizen is allowed to vote, then we would no longer have these fights over can folks who are um, in jail currently vote. Can former, you know, can folks who got out of jail but committed a felony vote? Can folks that don't have the type of address we want them to have vote? Can folks who don't have a driver's license vote? One blanket constitutional amendment could solve all of that. The question is, are our current representatives, our current politicians, and the folks who are currently in government do those folks really want everybody voting? The answer to that question is absolutely not. If everybody were to vote, and we really were to have a more, I don't want a complete direct democracy, but if we were to have a more direct democracy, things would change very drastically to how our government is currently set up, and that scares the folks that are in power. So those are the decisions that we need to be making. For now, just vote, right? Everywhere you look, people are talking about getting registered, and that's definitely the first step. Once you're registered, vote. Um, remember that if you are in line when the polls close, you can vote. They'll keep the polls open until everyone who's in line at that moment gets to vote. So don't let someone tell you you can't vote because the polls are closed if you're already in line. The polls are typically open from somewhere around 8 a.m. to somewhere around 8 p.m. It varies by state, so look into that. So if you do work an hourly job, um, you maybe can vote on your way to work or on your way home from work. If you live and work close to your polling place. Maybe you can use your lunch break to go get your vote in. Um, there are definitely ways around some of the built-in restrictions. Go out, let your voice be heard, because the more of us that get out and get voting, the closer we'll get to the 
the democracy that we're really looking for. And that's everything that we have for today. Thanks for listening. You can check us out on social media, Instagram and Twitter, not at dinner podcast. You can also check out our website, not at dinnerpodcast.com. There's a link there to get registered to vote. There's also some links to some books on this topic if you are interested in learning more about the history of the Voting Rights Act and all that sort of stuff. That is all on our website. Thanks again so much for listening. We'll be back next week. And have a great day.